0: We'll be in Genesis 22 this morning, it's Mother's Day. Mother's Day, I just kind of was like, well, instead of like a how to be a great mom kind of sermon or whatever, I was praying and God just kind of brought me to the idea of just going to one of the moms of the Bible and just learning from her, whether it's about motherhood or just being a woman of faith or whatever it may be. I talked about Sarah. And today we're going to talk about her husband Abraham, and this particular chapter is—it's uh, one of the one of the places in the Bible when you read it and it just makes you f- like feel weird, you know, like you're just not sure how to feel about it. Um, and there are several places in Scripture that that do that. Most of them in the Old Testament, where you read it and you're just like, "Man, I I don't know about this one." Uh, this is one of those passages. So happy Father's Day. Um, Where uh, we're going to tackle something, and I'm not saying that by the end of this you're going to like this is going to be your favorite story in the Bible, but maybe by the end of it we walk away, maybe just with maybe thinking of it a little bit differently. But I think we can learn a lot from uh, Father Abraham here in this text. So we're going to kind of do one of those things, which is my favorite way to teach, was just to go a few verses at a time and just kind of see what God has for us. Let's let's look at the first first two verses. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. So take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So in the first two verses we already know why people dislike this story so much. All right. So let's let's go a little bit slowly. The f- first of all in verse 1 it says that God tested Abraham and and I think we need to we need to get in the right frame of mind regarding tests. When we hear test, we tend to revert to our schooling and most of the time in school you we perceive that the main goal is to see if you know the answer or not on a test. I say we perceive that because I think we have some educators who would say, that's not the point of testing. I agree with you uh, completely. But when you're a kid and you're coming through school and it's time to take a test, all that's really going through your head is this teacher's trying to see if I'm going to get it right or not. It's like a pass fail kind of situation. But here, instead of this being like a pass fail kind of test, to see if Abraham will, will go through with it or not. Uh, we need to think of testing a little bit differently. It's, it's more like testing through some kind of experience where you, you take something and you like push it to its limit. You have to experience it in order to really figure out what's going on here. It's, it's more like, um, like you look at a chair and you're like, will that chair hold me up. Well, I mean, you can examine it with your eyes all you want, but at some point you have to test it, right? You have to Push the chair, check the sturdiness. Ultimately, sit in the chair. There has to be an, ex, an experience of some sort in order to test that chair. Or if you're cooking something, if you're making gumbo and you're like, ah, oh, does this gumbo need more salt? Well, you can't look at it and tell. You got to taste it, right? If you're if you're if you're working out and you're like, man, can I bench that much weight? The only way to know is to actually like lay down on the bench and try it, and you'll either you'll know one way or the other. And so, so it's more of a test where through experience you're pushing something to the limits to try to figure out the the strength and the fullness of what's going on. And so, instead of of us thinking that that God is looking at Abraham and seeing and basically like let's see if he does it or not, let's see if he gets it right or not. That's not the that's not the question that's being asked. Um, the question being asked is is it's do you trust me? It's not do you know the answer? It's do you do you trust me? And, and the only way to really know if if you trust God or not is to enter into some kind of experience where that faith is tested, and then you can assess it, you can evaluate it, you can you can figure out where things stand. And so it, it says at the beginning of the verse, after these things. So if you go back to chapter twelve. Uh, like God begins this journey with Abraham and from 12 to 22, there's all kinds of ups and downs. He makes some really great steps of faith and honors God really well in some ways. And he is a train wreck in some other ways. And all these ups and downs and all these things are going on. Um, After all that has happened, God, you almost get the sense that God's like, okay, Abraham needs to be reoriented toward me. He needs to go through something that's, that's going to put him back to true north. That's going to take all that stuff he's been through, all the ups and downs, and get him back synced up with me. And so he tested him. So that's the first thing. We have to think about testing in the right way. He's not being mean. He's not being a bully. He's not being, he's not being any of that kind of stuff. He says, let's, let's experience something together, and then we'll, then we'll know what we're working with. So that's one thing. Second thing, look at verse 2. It says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Now this is, this is disturbing, right? This is, this is horrible. Every parent in the room like just cringes at the thought of of having to like to go through something like that, especially when if God is the one calling you to do it, and I I, this is just my opinion, I don't think that God faults us for thinking this is strange, you know, for thinking this is difficult. I, I don't think He expects us to just be like, oh yeah, that's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Yeah, that's my favorite Bible story. Um, I think He knows there's tension there. And that, and that's okay. And my goal is not to convince you that this is really okay. It it is what it is, um, and it's fine. But um, there are a, a couple of things when it comes to understanding what's going on here. Uh, like we're kind of at a disadvantage in in a bunch of ways because we're because uh, we live when we live. You know, um, let me give you at least. There's just let me give you two of the ways that we're at a disadvantage. One is that we know a lot more about God than Abraham did. We just know so much about him because we have we have like this entire Bible. He had like not even that much of the Bible. We have the whole thing. God was was relatively new uh, to to him and to like everything that's going on. God had not revealed a whole lot about himself at this point. So if you think of it not as someone who knows the entire Bible, but as someone who only knows like just that limited amount. The revelation that God had handed down, it it wasn't full yet. They they just didn't know him that way. And we have the Gospels, so we have Jesus who is the 100% full revelation of God. So when we hear this, we're saying, that doesn't sound like God to me. I know who God is because I see it. I've seen it in Christ. I've seen it revealed throughout the the whole council of Scripture. We know so much about him. I read this. I have a problem with it. Abraham wasn't working with all the information that we are. He was working with a very little bit. And so for him to hear this, would not, it would not have rattled him the way that it rattles us. Um, and so I think it's important for us to understand his mindset going forward. Why, because you're like, why wouldn't he go forward with this? Like, isn't this like a like how to, be, how to not be a great dad story? You know, uh, We have to understand that he's not working with as much as we are. Uh, Because he doesn't know who Jesus is and he doesn't have the whole council of scripture to work with So that's that's one thing. Here's the other thing that's kind of troubling uh, about it, but it's important in the ancient near east child sacrifice was very common Like in the in the the canaanite religion where they would worship these other gods um sacrificing your child your firstborn child Was like a normal thing um there's you, a lot of you have, if you've studied the old Testament very much, you've heard of Baal and his, uh, his mom slash wife Asherah. Uh, well, his dad's name is El, and El is, uh, like considered to be like, like fertility is one of his ways that he blesses. And when I was in Israel several years ago, we went to this, uh, ancient ruins site and there was a, there was like a, a perfectly, a, a big circle, probably 25, 30 feet across, uh, about four feet tall as a stone wall and just a big flat like stage that was around. And the Jewish guide had one of the guys get up, get up on in the middle of it and, and stand there like this with his hands out. And he said that uh, at one point in time, there was a statue in that, in that location that was like 20 feet tall. And his hands are out like this. And they would take a baby and place it in the hands of the statue. And then they would build a fire around the feet of the statue. And they would sacrifice the baby. It was like a normal thing. They thought that those gods were calling them to sacrifice their firstborn as like a, as like a thank you for blessing them with children and crops and all those kinds of things. So when Abraham hears this, it's different than the way you and I hear it. To him, in his world, sacrificing your firstborn was a part of worshiping a god. And so when he heard it, he would not have heard it with Western American 2019 ears. He would have heard it with very different ears. And so while he would have been emotionally and relationally devastated... He would not have the like spiritual baggage that we have when we read the story. He would have probably cringed and thought, man, I was, hoping, I was hoping I wouldn't have to do that with you. Like the other Canaanite gods in the region, like they have to do with them. I was, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but it has. And so it was logical for him. And that's so strange for us but I think it's important for us to understand all those things that I just kind of went through about how much how how much more we know and how child sacrifice is different. I think we have to know all that to understand why he went through with it. He didn't want to, but it was it was much more normal for them at that time. So, if you have struggled with the story, and you say, why is, why, how can I love a God who would ask this? Why is God so mean? Why, and why, why, why? Um, I'm not saying that you'd have to throw all these things out, but I think maybe, maybe some of this is helpful. But there's one spiritual part of this that I think is important before we keep going with the story to keep in mind. He wouldn't have thought it was strange because child sacrifice was normal and all that, but he would have found it strange because of what he had been through. I mean, in Genesis 12, God tells him to leave his homeland, to go to a land he's going to show him, and he's going to, to bless him and uh, make, a, make this great nation from him, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through his lineage. He tells him that in Genesis 12. Then in 15, he, he promises him a, like a, a child, like his own heir. In in 17, he says it again. He says, no, even though you're 100 years old and your wife is 90 years old, you're going to have a baby. In in chapter 21, they have the baby. And so this was not just any son. This was a son of promise that through him would come this like generations that would go and they would bless the entire earth. There was this this big picture vision for this child's life. And so, like, the death of this child would be the death of those promises that God had made to him. And so that would have been really strange. Like, well, God, why would you, why would you promise me and all the people of the earth this blessing through this baby and then put him to death? That, that, doesn't, that doesn't make sense. So that conflict would have certainly been present. I mean, this was the child, this was the baby of promise, you know, and if, if you, it, to me, the, like, the closest thing I can imagine is in The Lion King, when uh, Simba is born, and they gather, all, all the animals come together, and they come out on the edge of the rock, and they hold him up, you know, and there's this moment of realizing, they're like, that's the future he's holding up, you know, and Elton John's singing, it's beautiful, you know, it's just, whatever, it's great, and it will never get greater than that moment, but, um, It's like that, but infinitely more important because of how far-reaching it would go. So this boy, Isaac, was the key to the future. And so after all Abraham had been through, God looks at him and says, do you trust me? And if you do, I want you to take your boy. I want you to go to Moriah. I want you to offer him. Notice the text doesn't say, he doesn't say kill him. Says, offer him as a burnt offering, and so Abraham would have heard that as a normal request from God to offer his firstborn. And even though it didn't make sense because of the promises, the story continues on. Look at the next. Look at the next verse. Sorry, verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took uh, two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Okay, so let's stop right there. So a brutal three days for him and his mind had to be just completely terrible. Um, In verse 5, where where he says, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Uh, I mean, it's implied there in this translation. But if you read in other translations, like the uh, Christian Standard Bible or the NIV or or even King James, it it says, we will come back. Basically, we will go and worship and we will come back to you. And so it's, it's like foreshadowing. It's almost like he he knows something that maybe that three days of walking and praying maybe he's processed it maybe there's something in his spirit where he's like okay something significant is going to happen here so he says we're going to come back to you look at verse eight uh sorry six abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on isaac his son and he took in his hand the fire and the knife so they both uh they went both of them together Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. And this this has got to be the most devastating thing. He says, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? I'm guessing that Abraham probably wept for like 10 minutes. And then he said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Verse 8 is, is stunning to me. Um, just this idea that, that God will provide. I don't think he knows specifically what's going to happen. But I think he has a... I think he has a sense. I think that he knows that when the moment comes, God's going to take care of him. That even though the circumstances right now don't make a lot of sense, God's going to be faithful to himself and faithful to him and his son. Like I th- I think that there is this really common human experience happening right here. Now, the details obviously are very different. None of us has ever been in this boat, but I bet we've all been in a situation where we're like, okay, okay. I don't know how all this works together for my good. I don't know how God is glorified through this. I don't know how God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I don't know how he is, all the things he is, and this circumstance is happening at the same time. I I don't know how those fit together, but I believe that they do. I believe that we keep going forward because God will provide what we need. In Hebrews 11, there's some insight given that is mind-blowing to me. It says, this is verses 17 through 19. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Notice it doesn't say murdering. It doesn't say any of that stuff. See, he's offering him, holding him out. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall offering be named. And look at this. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is, this is amazing. That... Resurrection from the dead was not a thing in Genesis twenty-two; like that had not happened yet. We, having the full Bible, having all we know, we know that Jesus did it, and He Jesus did it with Lazarus. So there's at least twice that it's happened. He, like, created this whole possibility that would have been crazy to anyone, because he's like somehow God is going to bring is going to bring all this together. God will provide, He will, the humility that it takes to admit that your perspective is limited. And even though things appear to contradict each other, God's not a contradiction. And so somehow it's going to be okay. So let's keep going. That's what He tells Him. God will provide for himself the lamb we need for the sacrifice, and they went on together. I think that's a picture that we need to grab onto. That kind of humility, that kind of leadership, that kind of courage to trust, even though things don't, aren't like fitting together perfectly, to trust and be obedient and continue forward. Dads, fathers in the room, your family needs this kind of leadership in your home. Like the kind of leadership that will that will gather your family together and say, things are weird right now. We don't really know how this is all going to shake out, but God's going to take care of us. So we're going to keep going. Your spouses need to hear it. Your kids need to hear it. They need to watch it. Your friends need to watch you lead your home that, that way. Dad's this, this is big. This is what God has entrusted to you. This is who he's making you into if you will let him. The kind of dad that will lead his family forward even though there's some mystery involved. Our elders and pastors of our church the congregation needs this kind of leadership. That's who that's who we need. Pastoring and shepherding the church is men who will who will lead uh, lead in times where everything is really like easy and everything makes sense, and also will lead when, in times when things are just not really clicking and the future is uncertain. The church needs that kind of leadership to our staff and our team leaders and our community group leaders our teams and our groups they they need you to be those voices for them they need you to have that kind of faith that that says god god will provide let's keep going our city and our state and our country and our world they need they this is this is what we're looking for we're looking for the the people of god who will rise up and will say whatever is going on we don't have to have it all figured out he's going to be faithful and provide we're just going to keep going he's making us into the kind of people that will follow him into and through and out of the valley of the shadow of death and all the while fearing no evil for he's with us that's who he's forming us into from the oldest in the room to the youngest in the room, that's what he's making us into. At camp this week, that's a part of that formation. Those little precious voices singing, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you my name. You are mine. That, that is when that formation begins. We're building them into people who will not be afraid of what things look like, and they'll just trust that God is in charge of things and keep following him. And so whatever you're facing today, God wants to draw you deeper into your faith in him. See, Abraham, Abraham couldn't focus on the promises that God had made to him or on his son as the the vehicle of those promises. He couldn't focus on those things more than he focused on the one who's making the promise to him. In this situation, he was getting it right. It's, It's full of weirdness and I don't understand it all. But his focus was good. For me, the last probably two two years, maybe more, it's been a long season of, of this this story, but also this, this one kind of phrase running through my head as my own personal application of this. Where I find myself constantly just saying, okay, well, I either, I either trust him or I don't. I'm faced with something, I'm, I'm a, like over, over-analytical person, I don't know what Enneagram number that is, but I'm sure someone will tell me later. I always think I'm a zero, but apparently that's not a thing. I'm always thinking of everything from every angle, and a lot of times, like it, it gets to like ping-pong balling around so much, it gets chaotic, and it's almost like God just lets them all fall to the ground, and just reminds me, okay, I either trust Him or I don't. And I do like when I simplify it that much, I do. And so when it's like, well, how, how do you, how do you fuse two churches together? And it's just all all this stuff. it's like, well, I either trust him or I don't. And I, I do. So I'm going to keep going. You know, it's how do you, how do you push the, the staffs together and the money together and the teams together and the people together? And, and then, and like in my own personal life, you know, it's it's like how do I how do I do this and how do I do this and how do I do this? Our family's going through a really difficult thing right now with the health of my niece who was born a month ago, and um, I've known for several months that it, this was coming, and just the processing of all that. And this has gone through my head. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times of like, even with her little life, I either trust him or I don't. And I do. Like it always comes, I do. And the times when the answer is I don't, then I sit with him and I work my way through it. And he comforts me and he shepherds me and that's like a whole other sermon. But with our lives, whatever it may be, you either trust him or you don't. With your job, with your career, with school, with family, with your kids, with your marriage, with your friendships, with your money, with your time, with the church—I mean, there's uh, put fill that in the blank. I mean, whatever it is, you either trust him or you don't. And so, I want to be the kind of person, and I want him to keep making me into the kind of person who works my way through that. And at the end, I'm like, okay, I do trust him. God will provide what I need what we need. So let's keep going. It's just simple. So let's keep going. A part of this experience for him, this testing for Abraham, was taking his faith and putting it into action. That's you and I, all the time. So let's see what happens. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built he altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son your only son for me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that name of that place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. A couple of things in closing verse 12 when he says don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him he's saying i don't want you to kill your child that's not what i want god said to offer him you know that's that's what he did he he offered him he bound him up and laid him on the altar and yes he was thinking thinking along the lines of killing him but God was like, I didn't ask you to kill him. ask you to offer him. So he stopped him. The point wasn't about killing Isaac. It was about, about not killing him. See, God's showing him, I, I'm not like the other gods in Canaan. I mean, one, they're false gods to start with, but I'm, I'm a God not of death. I'm a God of life. I want you to be a sacrifice, but I want you to be a living one, not a dead one. See Paul gives us that phrase later on but we see where it begins right here did he want Abraham to offer him his son yes he wants you to offer your kids too he wants you to take your kids and I mean it feels a little lion kingish but not to exalt them like that but to offer them he wants you to say this is i mean these sons and daughters of ours are yours He's like, yeah, I I, I, want, I want your love and your commitment. I want you, but I want you alive. <laughs> you could be a sacrifice and be living. That was foreign to them at that point. And so part of what he's doing is saying, I am not like those false gods. I don't want death, I want life. I don't want your son dead, I want him alive. And through him will come more life and more life and more life and all the nations on the earth will be blessed. So when God stops him, God's not changing his mind. It seems as though that wasn't God's intent the whole time. And I know that's like really, really confusing. But when you think about it in their context, he's saying, no, that's not the kind of sacrifice that pleases me. You offered him to me. That pleases me. But I don't want him dead. I want him living. The same thing for you and for I. Then he says, uh, "Don't do anything to him." Is verse twelve? For now, I know that you fear God, seeing that you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. It's not God's not saying like, "Man, I wasn't sure which way that was going to go." You know, he's like he's saying, "Now I know," but it isn't. It isn't that kind of knowledge. I, I read this yesterday. Um, it's knowledge uh, like there's knowledge like there's like in your brain like cognitive like information knowledge, and then there's knowledge from experience. You know, there's, there's the cognitive knowledge, which is like, someone tells you the out, like, this is the score of the game. It's the final score of the game. Like, okay. Then there's the, like, you know, the, not the end of the game because you experienced it and you watched it. You know, there are some sports fans who they like record all the games and they like, don't don't tell me who won. Don't tell me who won. Cause I want to watch it for myself. You know, it's more of that kind of experience. God is, is in real time experiencing the entire thing with him. That this knowledge is—he's saying, "Guess what? Now, now I know, and you know, because we experienced it together. We under—we know that you're not withholding anything from me, including including your own son. It's quite beautiful in a lot of ways, and probably the the most forgotten about part of the story is the provision of this substitute. He's laying the groundwork, or N.T. Wright calls it the backdrop. Like this is. He's saying, hey, uh, this is kind of how it's going to work. You don't have, instead of your son dying, I'm going to provide a substitute. Now, we know that's him. We know that's Jesus. And what's amazing to me is the fact that in Jewish tradition, based on their understanding of the Old Testament, where this happened is what will become Jerusalem And right now, when you see a picture of Jerusalem, you see the Dome of the Rock. This is the place they think where this happened. That in Jerusalem, many years later, God's one and only Son would carry his cross to a place on the same mountainside and would offer up his life. Isaac was willing, Jesus was willing, but he would be the Lamb that was provided. And so God didn't withhold his son from us. Isaac, uh, Abraham didn't withhold Isaac from God. And so it's this really beautiful working together of, uh, of, of God setting a new trajectory for humanity. i saying instead of gods requiring death, gods are gonna require, like this God brings life and provides life. And so knowing that he will provide for us I think when we put all those pieces together, we look and we say, okay, whatever I'm facing right now, God's going to take care of me so I can keep going. And however this fits into your life, I don't have to know, but you know already. And so we're going to spend a few minutes just letting this sink in together before we dismiss and go all our separate ways. So let's stand together. Let me pray for us. Father, that's it's a it's a difficult story, and I, I hope I've been faithful with it. But it's it's there for a reason. There are things you want us to know, and things you want us to do. And I have a feeling that the the biggest application point for us is probably just that that idea of looking at circumstances. And things that we're going through right now and being very uncertain. Being uncertain about how things are going to work out. And will will there be provision? Will there, will there be guidance? Will there be leadership? Will, how does all this fit together? I'm sure there's people all around the room who are heading into or maybe in the middle of things that are difficult. And I pray, Father, that, that those three words, God will provide, can just sink down into all of our hearts and into our minds this morning. And that when we ask ourselves, well, do I trust him or do I not trust him? That you lead us to the place of realizing that you are trustworthy. And so like Abraham, to say, God will provide, let's keep going. Can it be that simple? Well, whatever you want to speak into our circumstances as we process this for a few minutes before we leave, uh, may you just have your way among us this morning. We pray this in your name, amen. So one of the things that we do here is just kind of give you a few different ways to process what's happening. If you, if you want to stay where you are, that's great. If you want to stay there and sing, awesome. If you want to come forward and pray, uh, these steps are, are open for you if you just need to come and kneel. Um, there's going to be some folks on the front row who would love to pray with you, if that would help, be helpful to you. We have two communion lines. Um, you are welcome in our communion line. You don't have to be a member of this church. Uh, if if you want what Jesus is offering to you, if you want the grace of, of his body and blood poured out for you, broken for you, mm-hmm. Uh, he's saying yes to you. and if, that, if taking the Lord's Supper will help you uh, trust, realize that he is trustworthy in what's going on, then we want you to feel free to come in our lines. You, you take the bread, you dip it in the juice, and you take it yourself. Uh, so there'll be people moving around the room in different capacities, but uh, let's, let's give him a few minutes before we dismiss. Let's give him this time to just kind of pack some dirt on top of the seeds that he's planted this morning. Um, So our lines are open. You can come whenever you're ready and join us as we sing.